Congregation, we continue with sermons on the book of Numbers, and this time the text is Numbers 13, the verses 27 to 33. We'll read those verses again, beginning at verse 27, the word of the Lord. Then they, that is the ten spies, told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So far the text for the sermon. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was a bit of a world kerfuffle last week about well, that, that WikiLeaks had revealed that the United States have been spying on the last three presidents of France. And the French government was, of course, furious about it. The United States spying on its allies. President Obama promised to stop it from taking place anymore. But apparently, country, even friendly countries are always spying on each other. Want to know each other's strengths and weaknesses. We're told at the end of Numbers 12 that Israel had stopped on their journey toward the promised land in the wilderness of Paran. And from Deuteronomy 1, we know that this was uh, at Kadesh Barnea, and it was a city and a kind of an oasis on the border with the land of Canaan. And there the Lord God ordered Moses to send out men to spy the land of Canaan, the land that God had long promised to the people of Israel. We know from Deuteronomy that the Israelites wanted to send spies. The Lord allowed them to do that. And they were to check out the land to see, as it says, verse 18 and following, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, Few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or not. God, you see, allowed this to also to test the Israelites, try their trust in his promises. If they heard what was in the land in faith, they would be excited about going in and taking possession of it. But that's sadly not what happened. At that crucial moment, when, when, 
when God's people stood at the border of Canaan, the promised inheritance, and could have entered that inheritance, the spies came with a negative report, a report which clearly showed unbelief. And the sad thing is that the report of those spies who were leaders of Israel brought pretty well the whole nation to wail in unbelief as we're told in 14 verse 1. And because of that unbelief, they did not go in to take possession of the land at that time. None of that generation we know from later on in the book of Numbers went in to the promised land. They perished in the wilderness. Congregation, in that context, I preached to you the word of God in the text this morning with this theme, the unbelief of the ten spies. We pay attention to three things. First, the expression of their unbelief. Secondly, the results or consequences of their unbelief. And thirdly, the opposition to their unbelief. First of all, the expression of their unbelief. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, as we just mentioned, what happened in our text took place at Kadesh Barnea on the southern border of the promised land. Uh, Israel had journeyed for 11 days from Sinai and, and so on from there and, and come to that border of the promised land. Moses had sent out those 12 spies with instructions to check out the land and the people carefully. They spent 40 days traveling throughout the whole land of Canaan, and what a trip they had. They brought back some wonderful fruit of that land, including a single of, gr- cluster of grapes that was so big it had to be carried between two men on a pole. And when they arrived back, Moses called a congregational meeting so that everybody could hear the report of their findings. You can imagine the people waiting with eager expectation at the report of those spies. And they had a lot to tell. They reported that the land was truly a land of milk and honey, just as the Lord had told them. The Lord God had not exaggerated about its beauty and fruitfulness. Not exaggerated at all. When they spied it out, they found that it was exactly as they told him it would be. And to emphasize what they were saying, they also pointed to the big grapes and the fine pomegranates and figs they brought back with them. Look, here's the proof that this land is indeed fertile and fruitful, a land we'd certainly like to make our own, to possess for ourselves. The Lord did not exaggerate. Yes, congregation, you think that when those spies reported on what they'd seen there in Canaan, that it was exactly as the Lord God had said, that they'd also accept what God had said before about giving that land into their hands, and that they'd enthusiastically embrace his promises, and And that they could take that land then. The strength of the Lord. The one should follow the other, right? That's why the Lord had allowed them to send those spies into Canaan in the first place. But sadly, that's not what happened. For once the spies had reported positively about the bounty of the promised land, they right away also pointed out the negative things that dashed the happy and hopeful thoughts which the Lord wanted to awaken in his people. 
They had just barely lit a lamp of hope for the people gathered around them in that meeting, and then they threw a pail of water on it. For look how verse 28 begins. It says there, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Nevertheless, but, but, and that, that nevertheless, that but is, that's a common problem for God's people today too, isn't it? We think, I know what the Lord promised, that he promised blessing if I would do his will in, in this situation, but, but I want to do my own thing. And then we find excuses not to follow what we know is the Lord's will in a certain situation. I know the Lord wouldn't want me to hang, on to, uh, hang out and take drugs or consume alcohol with these people, but I know the Lord would want me to give more of my time to be with and talk with my children, but I, I don't have the time. I know the Lord would want me to be more involved in church activity, but... I always have to meet those people there. I know that the Lord said it would grow through being busy with his word, but I just don't have the time. I don't want to give up the time. See, the, the, the spies reported the land was excellent, but there, but, but there were other people there living in it, strong nations throughout the land. And, and that nevertheless, that but wasn't just carefully, suggestively stated No, it was strongly expressed. There's emphasis on that part of of the text. Nevertheless, emphasized in detail even, everything they said was intended to destroy the trust and enthusiasm of the people. Just listen carefully to how discouraging that negative report was. First, they stated, verse 28, that the people of the land were strong. And then the cities were fortified, and they're very large, huge walls. And thirdly, they reported that the descendants of Anak lived there, giants. And finally, they said that the Amalekites lived in the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites in the north and the east and the Canaanites along the western coast and in the interior. The whole land is covered with other people. All kinds of other nations living there. Powerful nations. So no wonder the people were shocked with this report. Strong people, big cities, giants, the whole land occupied by powerful tribes. Is it any wonder that the people figured it was hopeless to take over the land. The only way to take it would be maybe by fierce fighting, but they didn't see a whole lot of hope in that. And yes, it's, it's nice that the Lord God promised that he would help them to take possession of the land, but the reality was there were just too many obstacles. Congregation, the problem with the report of those ten spies then ultimately isn't that it was not true. The report itself was factual. Those men were telling it like it was. They had seen powerful tribes and strong cities and huge people, giants. You know, later on that David fought Goliath, one of the descendants of the, those Anakites. 
It was good that the Israelites were faced with the reality of what was there and with the work ahead, the hard battles to come. And then after they had taken the land, they would be able to praise the Lord for giving them the strength to overcome those nations and cities and and giants. So yes, it wasn't going to be a cakewalk to take over the land of Canaan. No, the problem was not with what those spies saw and reported. But the problem was with what they didn't see. They did not see. What they saw was only the great power of their enemies and their own limited human resources. What they did not see was their God and his great majesty and overwhelming power. You see, they were only looking up at at things from a human perspective. And when you do that, you end up only seeing the problems and the difficulties in doing what the Lord wants of you as his people. Then there are always buts. For God's people today, the world is a treacherous place too, and by all accounts, becoming more so all the time. And the Lord Jesus has called us to first seek his kingdom and his righteousness in this world and to trust that then he will provide for all our physical needs as well. He'll take care of that. But sometimes all we see is how great the problems are and how great our needs are in our own powerlessness and we forget how great our Savior is. We forget the might by which he overcame sin and Satan and even death. And then all we see are obstacles in following him, the great victor, And then we think we see things realistically. Yeah, we can't, we can't go ahead with that. That's, that's not being realistic. But we don't see the Lord anymore. We don't trust his promises to stand by us and to bless us and provide for us when we do as he asks us to, when we work at his kingdom and his righteousness Then on Sundays or when we open the Bible and we're told about the wonderful promises God has given us and even sealed to us in the sacraments, we come with our, ah, nevertheless, but, but, all good and well that the Lord promises to forgive sins, but, but, my sins or his sins are just too great to be removed, to be forgiven. Yes, The Lord promised to help me overcome that temptation, but I don't see how in the world I can overcome it. It has such a grip on me. Okay, the Lord nicely promised that he would avert all evil or turn it to my good, but I I don't see how this trouble I'm dealing with can be stopped from ruining my life or ever be turned to my good. Oh, congregation, our hearts are all too often yet overcome with doubt and unbelief, aren't they? Like those spies, we sometimes also leave the Lord out of the picture, right? We think we know better than him about the obstacles that face us. And congregation, that's unbelief, unbelief. And that has serious consequences, that unbelief. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon, the, the results of that unbelief. Congregation, unbelief has consequences. First of all, let's never forget unbelief 
isn't just perilous to ourselves. When we speak or think in unbelief, our attitude is one of unbelief. It's unbelief is contagious. Like a flu virus, you pass it to others. Speaking, acting in unbelief so easily transmits that unbelief to the others around you. And especially if you have a leading position, like a father and the mother in the family, or like an office bearer in the church, or as a, as a teacher in school or so, those, those spies in our text are listed as heads of the children of Israel. Those men were chiefs with leading positions. So when they came with their unbelieving report at that congregational meeting, they upset all the people there. All the people took that over. You see that, verse 30, where it says that Caleb quieted the people. He had to quiet them right away. They were upset. And we know from chapter 14 that Joshua stood by him in that. At least those two tried to quiet the people. In the following chapter, we're told, in fact, the whole congregation started wailing and weeping and complaining to Moses. If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had perished in this wilderness. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We've been deceived with nice words and promises. So we see in the text how the unbelief of the ten spies spread throughout the whole covenant nation. That spark of unbelief set the whole nation afire. And that's what can happen, brothers and sisters. When unbelief is expressed, it's contagious. It spreads to others. We have to, after all, agree with the doubters and the unbelievers as far as the facts go. Yes, the problems look massive, huge. Can this ever be overcome in my life or in the church's life? The opposition is powerful. The way seems too difficult. Only with the eye of faith can we see through all that and beyond. Congregation, it, it often doesn't look good for the church in this world, as I mentioned before. The future doesn't always look very bright. The way ahead can look pretty dark. For instance, there's so many moral and ethical issues. We seem to be rowing against the stream, and our testimony today is lost in all the noise of the world. The, the pro-abortion voice is still so loud. The LGBTQ lobby is powerful. The persecution of Christians is ramping up. Does the Church of Christ have a future in this world, in this nation? Is there a future for the man of faith here? It's so easy to begin to doubt and tempting to start to compromise what the Bible says so that we can fit in with the prevailing culture so we don't stick out. And if we've been giving leading positions in family or church or politics, we can influence a lot of others too and end up robbing others of their confidence in the Lord's promises with our compromises. If parents are critical of what is confessed and proclaimed and done in church, then they shouldn't be surprised if their children take over that critical attitude, maybe take it a step further. And if church leaders show doubt by compromising the truth and the norms of God's word, then it won't be long before the church weakens in faithfulness to the Lord and his promises too. So that's one consequence of unbelief. Unbelief, especially among the leaders, is contagious. 
It shows and others take it over like a virus. And then there's a second consequence of unbelief expressed such as expressed by the ten spies in the text. Unbelief never stands still. It starts with little things and it grows. And it digs deeper and deeper into our hearts. And we see that in the text as a warning to us when Caleb, and we can assume Joshua too, was standing there with him, when they tried to quiet the people after that negative report of the other ten spies, when they tried to quiet them with encouraging words, those other spies started to inflate, inflate the problems in their unbelief. They didn't just state that Israel wouldn't be able to take the land of Canaan from those strong people and their mighty cities and from some giants who lived there. No, they began to talk down the land, They talked it down. They talked down the good things in the land the Lord had promised to them. They stated, verse 32, that the land devours its inhabitants. And that all the people they saw in it were huge. And they claimed to have seen giants who towered above them so far that they they felt like grasshoppers compared to them. Exaggerated the size of the, the giants. And the number of them and the problems make them bigger. You become unrealistic even. Spoke negatively about what the Lord God had promised to them. If they entered that land, they said it would consume them, swallow them up. And you realize they totally lost trust in the Lord's promise to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob already then. That he would give Israel the land of Canaan as an inheritance. And then it's no wonder that the Lord directs his covenant wrath against those people too. He had had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He had fed and watered them in the wilderness. Carried them to the border of the land. He had promised them long ago already. I didn't even mention coming through the Red Sea where he destroyed the, the army of Egypt. But now they refused to move forward in faith. They had ground to a halt their pilgrimage. Disbelieved his promise. So the Lord, we're told told in Numbers 14, strikes the ten spies dead and the whole generation of people 20 years old and up, except for Caleb and Joshua, end up wandering around and dying in the wilderness without entering the promised land. And that was because of their unbelief. All this is recorded in the Bible for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages has come. The Apostle Paul writes 1 Corinthians 10. And then he adds, so let him who stands take heed lest he fall by the same kind of unbelief. That's for us today. We live in the last age. We are at the border of the promised land. We have been freed from the slavery of sin and Satan by Christ so that we can enter that promised land of eternal glory. So we stand at the border of that land of glory promised us in Christ today as our inheritance. And Christ is on the way, coming now. And do we sometimes doubt whether that promised glory is really as wonderful as proclaimed in the Bible, as outlined in the word of God? 
Do we sometimes hesitate and wonder if it's really what we want or need? Is that joy really, that perfect joy really that great? Does it surpass anything we have in this life? Are we sometimes afraid of the struggle that accompanies appropriating what has been promised us in Christ? Afraid of the struggle? Congregation, the Lord knows us. He knows what can hold us back at times. And he's not happy about it. That's the admonition that comes to us today via our text. In Christ, his son, the Lord God wants to give us the best and the most beautiful. He has promised it. How can we then not look forward to that in faith, hope, and love? How can we not live in humble and joyful expectation of being able to enter the joy of our Lord? We come to the last part of the sermon, the opposition to the unbelief of the ten spies. Congregation, what a a contrast that faith of Caleb and Joshua is to the report of unbelief by those ten spies, which then takes root in the hearts of the rest of the people. You know, if you, if you think it through, Caleb was not even originally an Israelite. He was a Kenite. Caleb was an Edomite. His family had become part of the covenant nation later on. And he became a a chief in the tribe of Judah. That man of foreign background stepped up and tried to quiet the people when they became upset at the the report of the ten unbelieving spies. What a shame! Caleb, he didn't dispute what those ten had reported about the land of Canaan, he didn't play down the difficulties there might be ahead of the people. If they went in to take possession of the land, he didn't say, oh, come on, it's not that bad. People aren't that strong. The giants aren't that big. No, Caleb was realistic about the dangers too. But he was also realistic about what his God could and would do. Caleb believed. And because Caleb believed the Lord God's promises, therefore he dared to say to the people, verse 30, Let's go up at once and take possession of this land for we are well able to overcome it. They could take it. He put it that way, not because he figured the people of Israel were so strong and so wise and so brave. No, he said it because he believed that if they entered that land in faith, the Lord God was with them and he would give that land as he had promised His promises would become reality for them. Yes, there would be difficulties. There would be battles, bloody battles. But those things could be overcome with the Lord in faith. And so Caleb's words of faith stood diametrically over against the words of the other ten spies. Oh, they were men who saw things realistically, those ten But Caleb saw and believed the reality of the Lord God 
which so amazingly delivered Israel from Egypt, brought them through the wilderness to the border of Canaan. The, the other spies, we could say, saw things two-dimensionally, whereas Caleb in faith saw three-dimensionally farther. And it turned out that Caleb saw things right, didn't it? And that should speak to us. He saw things right. The words of the ten unbelieving spies did not come true. But Caleb's words proved true. The people took the land after 40 years, 40 years later. And those, all those people, those unbelieving people, along with those ten unbelieving spies, were consumed by the wilderness. Great cities with huge walls were reduced to rubble. Mighty armies were defeated. Giants fell before the Israelites through faith. And the rest perished in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Caleb and Joshua didn't see anything different than the other spies. They didn't see anything, and yet they saw much, much more. Sometimes you talk with people about matters of faith, and you think, they don't see it. They don't see it. Congregation, Caleb and Joshua saw the invisible God who is faithful to his promises. And congregation, we can only continue our journey through the wilderness of this world toward the promised land by faith too. We can only enter the promised land of glory by faith. And that's because Jesus Christ has fought the ultimate battle for us and obtained the greatest victory for us ever. He obtained it already. He goes before us. And through him, we are more than conquerors. As the Apostle Paul says, Romans 8, more than conquerors through him who loved us so that nothing, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, not even the biggest giants can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How can we lose heart with a Savior like that? Amen.